Ever since the days of old, men would search for wealth untold. They dig for silver and for gold, and leave the empty holes. And way down south in the Everglades, where the black water rolls and the salt grass waves, the eagles fly and the otters play in the land of the Seminoles. Progress came and took its toll, and in the name of flood control, they made their plans and they drained the land. Now the glades are going dry. And the last time I walked in the swamp, I sat up on a cypress stump. I listened close and I heard the ghost of Osceola cry. The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. We are live on air on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee and streaming online at wvfs.fsu.edu. If you want to call into the show, feel free to dial us up at 850-644-3871. And if you happen to miss this week's show or any other future show, you can go back and listen to us on the Tomahawk Talk podcast, streaming anywhere you listen and get your podcasts. I'm your host, Luke Hazen, happily joining you on another Monday as we head into the dog days of not just summer for us with temperatures rising every day, it seems like, in Tallahassee. It really hit us this week. But also the dog days of sports. You know, Florida State baseball and softball are, are, are gone by the wayside now. Spoiler alert for what we, we may be talking about here. And we have a couple months until football, so... We kind of have to piece together some stuff to get us through those those tough times. But 
in terms of the sports we do have going on right now, we have the NHL and NBA playoffs continuing on. We have the world, uh, the men's college world series continuing to take shape. I think the last couple of games are are settling in today, and the golfing world gets ready for the U.S. Open this week. But first and foremost, allow me to reintroduce former host of the show and co-host for tonight, Nick Carlisle, V89 Lifer. Nick, how you doing, bud? I'm doing pretty good, man. It's good to see you. It's good to be back on the show, and uh, I'm real glad that you reached out. I'm always ready to come back and uh, help the help the uh, current host of the show, which, how long have you been doing this now, Luke? It's got to be three, four weeks, still very, very so green as we head into this still show. Very, hey, that's okay. It's, it's one of the best learning experiences and best times that I can say that I've had not only you know at my time of Florida State, but really just in the you know the career of sports media. It's yeah. it's it's an incredible learning experience, and I'm sure you know you're doing a great job you know holding this department together. Yeah, com- completely blessed to be be hosting this now, especially at this time as we've kind of not kicked COVID to the curb yet, but as we sort of ramp up back into fall sports, getting to host the show and FSU's first full season with fans back in the stands kind of that energy that Mike Norvell has brought to the program. That's going to be exciting. And, you know, just picking up on all the tips I've learned from you. I mean, you were the first host uh, I had when I came onto the show way back in 2018. And <sighs> it's been that long. I know. And, <laughs> and learning from from guys like Faye and, and Brett and, and Gary along the way, it's it's a it's a true blessing. But tell us a little bit about what you've got going on in your in your life. And I know you have a podcast coming out. Uh, yeah, I have been working uh, part-time at the Osceola with uh, Bob Ferrante, um, uh, owned by Jerry Krause. Uh, he's a great guy. Uh, been uh, working part-time, writing stories, mainly football and baseball for them. Uh, but when I'm not, uh, especially in the dog days of summer when all the sports kind of just go away and we're all you know scraping the barrel for stories, um, I do my own sports podcast called Hard-Headed Sports. It's been on the air for about six months now. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, basically everywhere that you can get your podcasts. And uh, that's been an interesting experience for me because not only is it, you know, doing podcasts, it's posting highlights on YouTube. It's it's basically, I would say, retooling myself and, and just learning more, not only on video production, audio production, but um, continuing uh practice which practice makes perfect as i'm sure you know you can attest to when it comes to uh running a show oh i'm continuing to learn all right but we thank you nick for joining us in the studio i'm also joined by producer and panelist for the night sebastian angeliano sebastian lightning lose yesterday game one of the aisles in in game one of the not the conference final the eastern conference finals but the stanley cup semifinals if i'm correct yeah (laughs) but they somehow give out the same prince of wales trophy that's given out at the end of every single eastern conference final so um what have you nhl anyways to answer your question i'm i'm not i'm i'm skittish i'm always skittish and superstitious you know that's me i'm just jumpy during the stanley cup playoffs but i'm not worried uh, the Islanders, hats off to them, played a perfect game of hockey. A full, complete 60 minutes of hockey. Only two power plays against the Lightning is incredible. That is phenomenal. You won on home ice. You know, the Lightning have dropped both game ones in the past two series in this Stanley Cup playoffs. So I'm not worried. We, we know how those went. Um, the Islanders can't be perfect forever. Uh, the Lightning can be better, have much more room to improve. Uh, Victor Hedman, forward for uh, the Lightning, said that they looked at the video today and they saw a lot that they could work on, and they they uh, have been working on it. I'm eager for Tuesday night's game. I'm not saying they're going to win. I'm not going to say they're going to lose. But I'm going to say that they're going to be a better hockey team than they were last night. Yeah, it, to me, it just looked like they were sort of disinterested a little bit, just, uh, con- especially considering the fact that they were at home for a game one against the Islanders. And I don't know if it's just me, but I don't think we're going to get a better 
shot to have a repeat champion than this odd sort of year with with the Lightning being Who returning knows? most of their players. The, the Canadians this year is special. Uh, if if wow. any if anything that makes me nervous, I I've yet we have to see what happens tonight. Uh, they're in Vegas, right? I believe they are. Yep, Vegas hosts game one. Uh, so we we got to see what happens tonight in Vegas. If the if you know they they sucker punch Vegas and they run away with a game, you know a three nil uh, win, I think that's big because that could mean the first uh, Canadian finalist in a very long time. I want to say since Vancouver when they played Boston, you know the unpleasant riots that came afterwards. Um, <laughs> It's been it's been a while since a Canadian team, and you don't want to be that American team that drops the cup and and returns it to its home in Canada. You don't want to be that. So, if the Lightning advance, if the Islanders advance, you don't want to. You kind of don't want to see that happen. You you kind of want to see it happen, but you but you really don't, especially if you're on the the receiving end of a of a spanking in the Stanley Stanley Cup Finals. Right. And well, we thank you for joining us tonight, Sebastian. And then finally, here on the panelists, we have Scott Clemens. Scott, he's helping out in the production booth tonight, and he's also here to talk a little softball wrapping up FSU's season. Uh, Scott, how was your weekend, man? Uh, I've been doing all right. All of the six-week courses for Florida State uh, in their summer semester are kind of wrapping up, so I have about four different things happening on right now, so my weekend's been a little hectic, but I'm excited to be here, kind of break down uh, FSU softball's kind of amazing end of their season and seeing where we can go from here. Right, and I, and I know you have a, a, a little uh, report coming out on uh, college football and sort of just the state of it as we head into what now is is not breaking news, but pretty huge news involving the playoff and the, its expansion to 12. That's got to help with the with the problems that you uh, expressed in your report, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. The, I don't know, the 12, uh, the expansion of the CF, uh, the expansion of a college football playoff can be very interesting. We're seeing now kind of the automatic bids with the Power 5 teams and the best group of five but the one debate and uh Sebastian and I were talking about this earlier the one debate that's always going to exist with expanding the playoff is that this is more games for players that don't get paid and so it's going to be interesting kind of expanding this and having to juggle that along with finals and coming in and all of the kind of ethical and legal issues that the NCAA currently faces but in terms of what we're talking about with my report and how ACC can stay relevant, it's definitely going to make things interesting. Yeah, and and one thing that we were ta- also talking about in the booth is, um, along with the, the increased workload on these students, because that's what they are—they're students before they're athletes. That's why they're called student athletes. Um, is the fact that they're, you know, like straight up, like the the college football playoff just in general has not been competitive. It feels like. Um, Two out of the three games that are played during the playoff are like stomps. They're 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 not pretty to watch. They're they're either straight up boring games or they're uh, they're an ass kicking. I actually ran the numbers because I actually and not to plug the pod, I talked about this on the I podcast. To it, yeah, um, four. I, I believe it was fourteen of the playoff games that have been played so far have been won by fourteen points or more. Only four of them were won, or were were kept within one score. So there's one outlier game, and I think that might be. Um, that one of the Clemson, Oklahoma, Al- o- oh Oklahoma, Georgia, right? Yeah, I think that's what so. I was gonna say. Uh, so the majority speaking, uh, so if if it's four or six out of the uh, the twenty one that have uh, only been won by one score game, that's only that's below, that's below thirty percent. So um, I'm all for expanding the playoff. I think it gets rid of a lot of conference bias. I think it gives a lot of group of five players something to play for, especially teams like Coastal Carolina, which went perfect 11-0 and last season and didn't get diddly squat for their probably one of the best seasons that they've ever had in their program history. 
uh, it's interesting. You know, I'll have to read Scott's report on it because I, I'm very interested in that argument. That whole, you know, where, where these kids are are playing more games and they're not getting paid for it, but you can technically also make the argument that these games actually matter in terms of getting a championship, which might matter to you know these players more as opposed to just playing an extra game during the regular season. Right, and it, well, here here's my thing, and and we can go a little bit further on this because I I want to get this point across. To me, the most interesting thing about expanding it to twelve, as a, as a college football existentialist, I've kind of <laughs> kind of come to the realization that, listen, some schools just have more money that they can f- funnel into these facilities, and and you know sometimes players more than others. You're going to get Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, some form or fashion of those teams every single year, even if you expand the playoff. What the playoff and expanding it does is put an emphasis back on the regular season. If you have a certain number of slots open to, to anyone who can piece together a, a, a great regular season, that's going to keep more teams in it throughout the season than, than say, FSU, who's been completely out of the national conversation within the first weeks of September and, and October. Uh, that that would be my my thing going forward and why I'm, I'm happy that we're getting an expanded playoff here. Well, it's also a situation in which there's always teams that are going to, and schools that are going to make people more money as well. Uh, that's definitely a conversation that goes on with the college football playoff committee is, is, is okay. You have these teams like Texas A&M that are consistently on the bubble. Are they going to be a better show? Are they going to give you a better game than, say, Clemson, Georgia, Oklahoma, Alabama, and uh, whoever have you? So uh, this won't be happening until 2023 anyways, but right. still the, the the grassroots of this happening now was something that if you're an extreme college football fan, it's something that's just got to make you giddy at the, at the possibility of not only more upset but better games and um, more fulfillment and more opportunities for these for these athletes. Absolutely. See, I I'm, oh, yeah. I wish I could be as optimistic when it comes to, you know, certain teams that absolutely deserve it, like a Coastal getting the nod, um, or even a Cincinnati getting the nod. But let's be real. It, it's going to be, you know, a second SEC team, or sorry, a third SEC team, or a second ACC team. Um, it'll be like the f- you'll finally see a Pac-12 team get dragged into an expanded college football playoff kicking and screaming. Right, and I, and I'm not denying the fact that those teams probably stand a better chance of eventually making the playoff more than others. My my thing is, it it just keeps more teams from non-power five, and I'd also like to give it a rest on the whole power five. The Pac-12 and the Big Twelve are easily uh, at a disadvantage compared to the SEC Absolutely. and Big Ten when it when it comes to their their playoff chances. But to me, it keeps those teams in the conversation longer, and that's all I'm looking for as a college football fan. Just you know engaging games on a week-to-week basis where I'm not falling, you know, I'm falling asleep every week at some of these games that I know have no playoff implications whatsoever. But we can save that for another time. We got plenty, plenty of time before college football season rolls around. Well, ladies and gentlemen, last time we were on the air, we were giving you calls of the women's softball team for FSU lighting up Montana Fouts in the huge beating of Alabama last Monday as they play to get into the Women's College World Series final against Oklahoma. Hate to break it to you, but since then, they fell at the hands of Oklahoma in three games. They won the first game, losing the last two by a combined, by a combined score of 11-3 to in those two last games. Obviously, it's a tough blow for this team to lose in this sort of fashion when they were a game away from hoisting the trophy that they had battled their butts off to get to. Going from the the first losing the first game to the elimination bracket, running all the way through there, and and trying to hoist it for a second time in three years, but 
all in all, I don't think this is a run that you can be uh, terribly upset with with the, with the women's team. I mean, to me at least, this rivals the the runs that we've seen from football, basketball, soccer, any sort of any sort of run. The the men's baseball team a couple years ago when they went to Baton Rouge and and made it to the College World Series in Oklahoma, uh, in Omaha. Uh, to me, this was right up there, even though they didn't win it. Just in terms of how they kept us on our feet and the journey they took to get there. Nick, I want to get your take. What will your takeaway be from this women's team now that uh, it's come to an end? Well, hopefully it's a team that continues to get more attention going forward as to how talented they are and how talented a coach Lonnie Alameda is. I mean, this this entire Women's College World Series run has been peak Lonnie Alameda when it comes to her coaching style, not only in how she brings these girls together, but how she produces efficient offense and uh, obviously you know, pitching is a huge thing for this, this Florida State softball team. And even though they weren't able to deliver in the final moments, and you can't really knock them for that. I mean, essentially, this this was taking place in Oklahoma City against Oklahoma with 13,000 fans. This is about as close to a home game for, you know, Oklahoma as it can get. And obviously, Oklahoma's not going to make the chip every year. So, you know, you can make the argument, well, okay, if there were a different team, there'd be different fans in the seats and you know maybe the, it wouldn't be so loud and they'd be able to pitch more it, you kind of get where I'm going with that but when it comes to you know the, the run that this team made and and very reminiscent of their 2018 championship where they also lost the first game and they went all the way to win on the championship it's 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 time to give some attention to Lonnie Alameda uh, more attention than she's getting now it's it's time to give attention to these girls who continuously play their butts off and it's probably consistently in the past five years been one of the strongest programs at Florida State right and I think you can uh, at least to me throughout the baseball season, the softball season this year, I feel like you could sense a tone shift in, in how we, we viewed these two programs to, uh, paired together like that. I, I feel Absolutely. that there's there's a lot of, of both from a fan support and booster support as well, there's a lot more support for softball going on right now than baseball. Scott, I want to go over to you because you followed this tournament extensively, even up to the wee hours of, of, of 3 and 4 a.m. against that against uh, Oklahoma State when FSU played them. What a night, man. <laughs> how will you remember this this FSU team? I think what the one takeaway, and Nick kind of touched on this a little bit, was that this was the year that I think uh, Lonnie Alameda and FSU softball really established themselves as a top program in col- college softball. And this was the year, because, you know, you could say that that happened in 2018 when we won the title, but this was really the year that I think we w- when Florida State went in there, no one, you know, uh, everyone obviously knew Florida State was going to be good, but they I don't think anyone expected us to go as far as we did, especially after losing that first game. And so for Florida State to really go that far in the tournament really kind of established them as a serious program and serious con- contender. You know, that Oklahoma team was never going to be beaten. That was an insane, <laughs> that was an insanely talented team. And also when... Uh, you were playing your championship game in a stadium that is 30 minutes from your campus as opposed to what Florida State was doing in 15 hours, there is going to be a significant advantage. And with Oklahoma, the way they're – the style of play that they had was really intense. Those bat – they will heat up offensively and they just don't stop. They're really good at keeping momentum, and especially when you have – 13,000 fans there, uh, 1,299 of which are rooting for you. That's going to give you an advantage when it comes to momentum. And so no one was really, I think it was going to take a miracle for people to beat that Oklahoma team in OKC. But hats off to Florida State. And I'm, as a being, 
at being a student here, I'm exo- I'm so excited to see where this program goes within the next five years. Exactly. I, th- I think they established themselves maybe not at Oklahoma's level because I, I want to reiterate, people talk about the, the, the crowd advantage that Oklahoma had there. They would have won that thing in the style that they did, I believe, in any location that you – it could have been hosted in Tallahassee. I think Oklahoma is just that great of a team and that great of a program, and you could sort of see them flip the switch to the team that they were supposed to be in the middle of that second game when, when they are down 2 nothing and they hit the home run to go down 1, you could sort of see things just take a turn for the worse for FSU and, and Oklahoma really seize control there, uh, Nick. But mm-hmm. I, I want to get your opinion on this. Like, For anyone out there really losing faith in this team because they were beaten in the style that they did, blowing a one-game-to-nothing one lead, um, is there is there any shame in that against this Oklahoma team? Absolutely not. I mean, this is I mean for Jocelyn Allo specifically, this yep. is a this is a young lady who, what hit a home run once every four point one at bats, something absolutely ridiculous. This Oklahoma team was probably it, for going to go down in history as one of the better softball teams to ever play the game, right. and maybe that's a little bit. I don't know what to say overreactionary to say now, but genuinely, if you have followed this team throughout this season and you understand just how good. You know that this Oklahoma team is. You shouldn't be ashamed or discouraged in Florida State. Um, and you know you keep keep going back to the the, the crowd advantage. I, I would agree with you. I would say that this Oklahoma team would have beaten Florida State on any you know field. But you can't deny that you know with thirteen thousand screaming, Catherine Sandercock, who I have rarely ever seen get rattled. I think she got she a got little rattled. bit rattled. Uh, even though her expression wouldn't say it, she she was talking herself through it all the time, especially you know after what was it five consecutive hits or or four. Five runs off of four hits, something like that. She, you know, walked back to the infield, talked herself through it, but you could tell, like, she was thinking, you know, through her process a little bit extra more. And um, and you know, Catherine Sandercock is an excellent, excellent pitcher. I I would actually absolutely agree with your assessment in saying, you know, this Oklahoma team would have beaten Florida State on any field. And fans of Florida State softball should not get encouraged uh, in a in a year in which we didn't know how good this team was going to be. Are you trying to discourage or encourage? Oh, excuse me. We <laughs> shouldn't be yeah. we shouldn't be discouraged in a year in which we did not know how good this team was going to be. And uh, you should be absolutely proud of of this team for not only taking a game off this Oklahoma team because it very if this offensive switch that we saw in the middle of game two where Allo hit a two run homer over right field the right field wall if that happened in game one it would have been a swept series so. Right, yeah. I think one way or another, a team was going to be disappointed in in that their run from the elimination bracket mm-hmm. ended in defeat, and one was going to be elated in that it, it ended in a championship because both of them took the exact same path. It's it's just crazy to think about. Um, before we move on to NBA, Scott, any any last words on softball? Uh, yes. Yeah. So, uh, Luke, you had talked about kind of this shift that we're seeing between kind of college softball and baseball, at least at Florida State, kind of mm-hmm. with drumming up booster support. I think we could almost say for a lot of nationally in terms of NCA, people are looking at college softball a lot differently than college baseball now. ESPN all throughout this tournament was uh, publishing like record viewership numbers. Like I want to say mm-hmm. game three for Florida State, Alabama, the one that was not at 3 o'clock in the morning was – one of the most was the most viewed non-championship game for uh ncaa softball history and i want to say the final recorded similar numbers i want to say game one put up about two million viewers don't uh don't quote me on that but (laughs) it's something like massive like that and you're really seeing that people are beginning to realize that how good of a product ncaa softball is and in my opinion 
uh, college softball has been a better product than college baseball for a while now. Mm-hmm. And I'm very excited that people are beginning to realize that and what this will mean not only for uh, these teams and these girls, but for uh, women's college sports in general going into the future. I, I think you would not be the first to, to mention that in that college softball has sort of become more entertaining for, than, than college baseball. And this is coming from a diehard college baseball and Major League <laughs> Baseball fan. Like, yeah. I live and breathe that stuff. But at times, you sit down and you watch those games side by side, and you you start to realize, like, man, these girls put the ball in play a lot more. And I know everything has to do with with velocity and just how it's it's coming, but the girls put the ball a lot more in play than than we see in in, in college baseball and in Major League Baseball, and I think at times that makes for a far more entertaining product. It's the reason why Major League Baseball is starting to crack down on on their uh, substance usage w- with pitchers. Um, you see spin rates already going down as they kind of begin the preliminary investigations into pitchers like Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer. They're like Major League Baseball is at a point where they need to get a grip on on their pitchers and just how they manage the 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 substances that they're using to to get by these batters because there's a lot of games where there's no contact being made whatsoever. Right, and I think you specifically talk about the switch in booster support between Florida State baseball and Florida State softball. I think a lot of that also has to do with the fact that this is meet second year and this is a still a coaching transition that some people, depending on who you ask, may or may not be totally enthused with. Some people thought, oh, yes, absolutely keep it in the family. A whole different section of the of the fan base said, no, we should search elsewhere. And when it comes to the product of Florida State baseball, and Luke, I know you've watched your fair share of Florida State baseball as I've watched over the past you know couple of years, this team objectively has just not been the best. The, the, the recruiting has been... Not so good. I, I kind of had a coming to terms with myself on Nander DeSantis because I'm like, specifically Nander DeSantis and Elijah Cabell, because I thought those two this year, not not to just drag on about baseball for too long here, but I felt like these two, those two guys this year were guys that say, okay, this is their third year. This is the year that theoretically they should sign or they should shine. Elijah Cabell kind of rose to the occasion a little bit. He still struggles with strikeouts tremendously, but I think that's kind of just something you need to ex- uh, accept with him. However, Nander DeSantis has been pro- horrible, just awful. Uh, probably one of the worst shortstops that Florida State has ever had. You could tell that. That's the, a that, whoa! That's a huge statement there. That's, that's a bold. I I think he is way over his 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 head. Uh, I think. <laughs> I mean, if you're trying to throw out a guy that is recovering from a torn ACL and you overshoot the first baseman by about two stories, um, I, I I think that as a third year player, that's a play that you should understand who's running down first base. You should understand what his situation is, and you should understand that you have time to make a better throw than that. And if you go back to that game, that's that's what scored the runs. That's what lost Florida State the momentum in that series. And um, you could point to that as being one of the things that bounced him out. But regardless so, of that, um, you can you can definitely see with a coaching transition and kind of a reduced level of play when it comes to Florida State baseball overall, especially with how exceptional these women have been in the softball field. I mean, you go and you walk past and there's people in the the parking garage over uh, across from the stadium. There's people outside the stadium as well, just really interested in this team. And it's, it's exciting to see for, for, you know, women's sports as well. So I have to, um, address a bit of the DeSantis criticism because that was me last week. That was absolutely that was, that was me last week. And I, and, I, and I don't agree with, with both and you guys. I, I want to yeah, go ahead. I want to say like I, I bear with me. I, I think Nick is overacting to one game specifically but over the course of a season he's proven exactly what you said. Cabell and DeSantis are very, in very similar decisions, positions. It's time to step up. It's time to be you know the big boy on the diamond. One stepped up and started chucking bombs and the other one 
Uh, well, if you want to, if you want to address the one game criticism, this is a situation in which Desadis has never hit the ball consistently. I don't think he's hit over two thirty for an entire season in the three years that he's been here. When you say, okay, well, shortstop's mainly a defensive position, surely he should, you know, be better at playing defense. He had seventeen errors this season. That's I, I, unacceptable. I, I, uh, so that's, maybe that's maybe great, maybe Jim. it's a little bit of a far reach to say he's one of the worst shortstops that Florida State has ever had. But in terms of recent infielders, let's say the last ten years, he makes Mike, he makes Mike Salvatore look like, oh, I don't know, a <laughs> Rod. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I just I just think especially at the collegiate baseball level, different players develop at different times. You some people never pan out. Some people don't pan out until their senior year, and that goes for programs too. I think we're way too early in in, in meets. I would agree. You, you know. Uh, regime the, here to to blame it or to put any criticism or especially look for any new coaches. I think you have to give him another year. I think DeSantis, along with the entire lineup who was striking out up and down the order, right. I think you give them a full year to kind of develop under meat. I think it's a way better product next year and than I'm, we saw. And it wasn't a bad product this year. They, yeah, no. They really pieced together a lot of wins during that huge stretch in the middle of the season, and I want to give them credit for that. I want to give FSU softball credit. Hats off to those girls. Unbelievable season. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk a lot, a lot of NBA playoff talk because there is some really good stuff to get to. For now, though, you're listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. As we begin the second half here, we want to talk NBA playoffs. Nick, I know that's one of your wheelhouses on, mm-hmm. on your podcast that you do. And, and even back way back when I know NBA was, we went in a bunch of in-depth conversations about the NBA when, when you were on. But Recapping the last night's games, some some very good games to get to. First and foremost, the Suns sweep the Nuggets. They win Game Four, one twenty-five to one eighteen, to advance to their first Western Conference Finals since twenty ten. There's no doubt in my mind, CP three is the reason that they're there. I don't think anyone would debate that. But the story of Game Four, I think, in my opinion, was Jokic getting ejected. Nikola Jokic gets ejected in the third quarter after kind of hitting campaign the backup point guard for the Suns. Hard on the head, a lot of debate whether he should have been ejected, whether that could have swung the momentum of the game there. Personally, I don't think it warranted a flagrant two. And I think both teams said as much after the game. I know Monty Williams came out and said he was not expecting that. Mike Malone said he was not expecting that. Kind of a just a weird story. I don't know if it would have made a difference in in, in the game or the series, though, Nick. It, it, was that a big deal to you at all, him getting ejected? Um, I have, a, I have a lot of mixed feelings on this, actually. It wouldn't have changed the series outcome. The yeah. series was over. I think this would have been a different series if not only Michael Porter Jr. shot the ball better, but I think it would have been a different series if Jamal Murray, if Jamal Murray was playing. Um, very weird to see the Nuggets get out, go out in four. I thought this was going to be a longer series. But that's your MVP that just got ejected in game four of the series. That's not a good look for Jokic. And the argument of whether or not it should have been there, I think it's a compound issue. I think, A, it's not only an issue of a softer NBA, which I think this was a soft call, but it's also, B, an issue in terms of how much flopping has become a part in the NBA and how it's very difficult to make calls on what should actually be a flagrant one and what should be a flagrant two in the moment. And obviously this is why you go to replay to review this, and when you replay it, it should have probably been a flagrant one and he should have shot free throws. I don't think Jokic should have been ejected, but, you know, there's also the the part of it saying, hey, look, this series is over. Jokic going out probably isn't going to mean anything. If this happened in, like, a game one or game two, I would have been very interested to see how this might have been called differently. Um, because this, if this would happen in a game one or game two in a close game, this would have been um, 
much more bombastic than it was in just saying and a, and a whole bunch of players and coaches saying, "Hey, this is just a soft another soft league call." Right. I uh, I think what the refs did in, in calling a flagger two, they they assumed it, it, that it was intentional. Like he, right. it, he Jokic intentionally tried to do harm to campaign and Jokic kind of implicated himself after the game he said that he did like it was a hard foul he tried to swing the momentum of the game which was badly needed by Denver I don't know if they go on to let's okay hypothetically let's say Jokic doesn't foul doesn't get ejected from the game they somehow win game four I don't think that series is changing at all nope. in my opinion the well, Suns just <laughs> outclassed the Nuggets completely and, throughout the series and that's a that's the thing where you have to go off the hypothetical that they would actually win Game Four, would, and they, they were trailing were, at the time. They were not trending that way at any point in the game. They were always on the back foot, and that's been their that's been their mo this entire season. They got rocked. They got rocked completely, top to bottom, in every single facet. Phoenix was just better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Phoenix. Going back to like the to breaking down the game a little bit, Phoenix did an amazing job throughout the series controlling the pace. It's nothing new for them. They've done it the entire season with that offense that they've they've created in the lab with with Monty Williams and CP3 take two. I know a, a lot has been made, especially after they win last night, about CP3 and and Monty Williams' relationship going back to their days in New Orleans and how it sort of didn't pan out that the way they wanted it to. And so to get that second chance and and put together what was already a, a promising team going back to the bubble last year when the Suns made their run, you put you put CP3 in an offense and orchestrate it with Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, two up and coming stars. Uh, Nick, this is a team that looks unstoppable right now. Seven straight wins in the playoffs. Yeah, I love this team so much. I, they're my pick to make the finals right now. I think they're they're playing tremendous basketball, and I really love that CP3 has just become the dad of this team, so to speak. Uh, it, it's really nice to see CP3 be able to be that veteran presence for a team instead of having to work with other superstars. Because you take a look at his last two stops, um, LA and Houston, felt like and OKC, C- yeah, and OKC. It it, it always forgot about OKC completely. <laughs> to be honest around, with yeah. you, um, you take a look at his last couple of stops. It felt like. No, in at least in two out of the three. I mean, OKC. I, what, who did they have Oladipo at that point? No, I think Oladipo was gone. He carried that team to a four seed with with right. Shea Gilgis Alexander as their second best. But I get what you're saying in in LA with him sort of being malcontent. There. You, you, you're, you have some malcontention there. Not only are you having to try and and work between two egos with DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin, who at the time that that combination Lob City was incredible to watch, but you can tell that there was some friction under the surface, and CP3 not being able to fully take control and say, okay, I'm the father of this team, I'm I'm the person to calm it down when it comes to crunch time. That's that's one of the things that you can point to that eventually broke that team apart. You go to Houston with uh, James Harden, kind of the same thing. You know that was Harden's team. CP3 didn't necessarily have the the not only the pieces around him to be able to he still had to be the number two scorer is essentially what I'm I'm having to say in this team he could be three or four um, depending on who's hot or who's not and he can just sit back and be that that father I I keep going back to that yeah. like that paternal you know comparison there because it does feel like that it feels like CP3 is the father of the team and you know Devin Booker is the sprouting young hotshot I want to yeah. touch on D Book because um, it's sprouting that's that's odd like consistent with what I'm going to say. Dem Booker, it, it's amazing to see, you know, a superstar like, you know, have his coming out party in real time. Yeah. It's something we barely you it's it's very difficult to recognize. Oh my god, this is this dude's going to be amazing for the years to come and I get to see like his coming out party where everybody gets to be surprised at how amazing this dude truly is in the playoffs. 
Um, we get to see that in in on both sides of the championship bracket. You get to see that with Trey Young, and you get to see that with D Book. It's awesome. It it really is awesome. And it's it's like with you know some of the more popular figures in the league, you know LeBron and Steph out of the league, or out of the contention for a championship this early in the season it's like you know when a forest fire happens and it burns away all the old trees and stuff and allows new stuff to grow it's just like that that's how it fit with my with what i was gonna say it's i'm I'm just it's thrilling it really is it's it's genuinely interesting basketball for the first time i can say in about four years I, i think you can clearly tell from from booker's perspective that the last couple of years have really aided him in the way that he's sort of been clowned for for not obviously being a fantastic player in his own right. I mean, the dude's dropped 70 multiple times. He did it against Boston. Amazing game there. But he's been clowned for the way that his team has performed, and I think he knows that it hasn't been adequate to the level that he wants. And So I think a perfect microcosm for for how Booker has matured as a superstar. Last night they're interviewing CP3 after the game, after they've won. He's saying job's not done yet. Very, very monotone, boring CP3. He knows that the job's <laughs> not done. But then they go to the post-game uh, TNT af- after the tip. Uh, Shaq, all those guys there, they straight up they laugh at him because he Booker has this straight face going on, and and Shaq says it's okay to laugh. You know, you can laugh a little bit, Booker. And he says, job's not done, job's not done whatsoever. And you can see that the last two closeout games for the Suns, he's dropped over eighty points total in both of them. Mm-hmm. Just just an absolute assassin. Um, how are we feeling about the Suns? Heading forward, though, as they make the Western Conference for the first time since 2010, do we do we favor them over whoever comes out of that Utah Clippers series, Nick? So ultimately, I, okay, never mind. Go well, ahead, I mean, <laughs> if you want to take this we'll one, Sebastian, you, uh, you know, I, I really like Utah as well. I, I have Phoenix going to the finals right now because I believe in momentum. Momentum shift in in basketball specifically as a sport is super important. It, it changes all the time, and you always take who has the most momentum moving forward. You know, Phoenix moving through Denver in four games, getting extra rest, and depending on if Kawhi and Paul George feel like making this a series in in Utah, um, this that that series could go on longer. They're going to be less rested uh, moving forward. I, I I like the Suns' chances. I, I I really do like this team, and with with Devin Booker, I I think he knows there's a stigma around the Phoenix Suns. There is that stigma yeah. of this team has not been here in a long time. This team consistently has had poor drafting, poor management up until this point. Um, obviously, they've put together a really good team this season, and last season was kind of the the blooming of that in the bubble, as you alluded to, Luke. Um, I think Devin Booker, you know, is really taking CP3 not not his persona, but he's really. Um, kind of latching on to that mentality that CP3 is bringing to this basketball team and the the job's not done I, I think that's <laughs> an incredible I think that's an incredible statement for somebody who say what is he 21 22 22 I think he's younger than me yeah <laughs> I mean <laughs> that be what that is he is incredible Sebastian so for me it's all about stability I mean if there's any team that's been stable and not really they're being discussed now in the back half of the season because they're they're in such a form, but um, generally Phoenix is not the the headline at ESPN. At ESPN, the headline is always going to be the LA markets in the south and uh, the Southwest, and whatever you know superstar they're deciding to talk about today, be it you know Doncic or something. I don't know. Um, what determines who's going to be who's my pick for champion this year is the stability that Phoenix has had because Phoenix has not really had a struggle like they are. They're the exact same team that we've seen 
in the back half of the regular season that they are right now. Everybody else is going through some some issue right, right now. Um, Atlanta's one and two, right? Or, they're they're down two one game game fours tonight. All right, it's pro- actually it might have tipped already now that we've been on the on the air. Joel Embiid day to day. Milwaukee actually has some semblance of life right now, just because they've kind of unlocked the the Brooklyn Nets. They've tied they've even even up the series. Right. Brooklyn Nets, half of them are dead. Um, you look up in in Utah. Utah's the other team that is now finally kind of back on its feet. Now that they've finally gotten Donovan Mitchell after missing him for about a yeah. week and a half in the uh, in the uh, the end of the season. In short, we've got and then you know the the, the Clippers who somehow fail tasks successfully. It's it's very strange. I don't know what to make of the the L.A. Clippers other than Terrence Mann is incredible. I love that man still. <laughs> um, apart from that, well, yeah. Like who, who in this postseason has been consistently? Oh, the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, they've been great. They've been great like, the, you, the you entire can, season. You can that just was, explain that, and like they're that. healthy. That that was my thing with with the series against the Lakers. Like there was a reason why the Suns were the number two seed in the Western Conference. They stayed healthy and they were impressive throughout the entire regular season. Like there was no doubt in my mind that they they belonged there. It wasn't it wasn't a term. It, anything about being a fraud because of the Phoenix Suns. Now, I am doing yeah. a little bit of refrigeration history because especially in that Lakers series. You thought they were going to win. Paul, you thought the no, Lakers were going to win. I th- I thought the I thought the Lakers were going to win because Chris Paul got hurt. Yeah. That's the only that's the one tidbit that's okay, it's it's a pretty big tidbit of revisionist history I'm doing right now. Chris Paul comes back, he walks it off, he he manages to stay relevant, more than relevant, stay preeminent through the um through that postseason series and close it out against LA. For that we are forever thankful. But um, that, that I think they've they've unlocked it. They See, might, I, yeah, they might be. I was a little bit different because I thought that the Lakers were going to win that series in seven purely because this for me the Suns are overperforming. They're exceeding expectations. The Suns this season were that Western Conference team that you take a look at and you say, okay, they've had a great season, they, they a great regular season. Do they have enough experience in the playoffs to be able to win a series, a long series? And not obviously Anthony Davis and LeBron James, you know, going through injuries. LeBron couldn't carry his team out of the uh, the first round. Uh, Anthony Davis not playing was was huge for the. Lakers that's he's the most vital player on that team right um I I wasn't sure if the Suns would have enough experience and enough um enough get up and go to finish off a, a seven game series if it went that long it obviously didn't go that long because because uh, of injuries so you know for me the Suns are overperforming. I was expecting them to bounce out come back next year as that team to look out for so to say that they're in the Western Conference final for the first time in how many and here years, we are yeah. and they're playing so well and they've got a great leader and they're going to have tons of rest going into the Western Conference finals it's, Th- yeah it's things incredible. are looking promising as we sort yeah. of re- quick tidbit before we wrap up on the Suns Nuggets talk anyone questioning Jokic's MVP shut up yeah, no. Uh, no, and it's, anyone it's trying ridiculous. to compare him to CP3, Jokic carried that team after Murray went down. He is clearly MVP. I don't want to hear any ifs, buts, anything like that. It's a matter let, of log off for me. Let a big man have it. Well, yeah. Let the biggest, I, I don't, the biggest boy. I yeah. don't consider Giannis to necessarily be a quote unquote. No, no, no. Big Jokic man. is the big. Jokic is a big man. He's a tra- he's. I don't. I don't want to say traditional four or five. But you, know, you know, his nickname is the Big Quesarito. Is it really? Yeah, yeah. When he got drafted. ESPN was in the middle of a Taco Bell commercial that was displaying the the quesarito, and so that that is well, quesarito in the second just round. MVP, he is so. he is the big quesarito. Moving from quesaritos, trying to transition back into some NBA talk. Last night, Bucks Nets game four. The series has completely shifted. I I did not think I'd be saying this when they tipped off on Thursday for game three in Milwaukee. 
but the series has completely shifted. It's two to two now. Bucks win close on Thursday, eighty six to eighty three, and then they blow past the Nets one oh seven ninety six on Sunday. But the biggest news, aside from the fact that the series is tied, is the fact that Kyrie Irving is out. He injures his ankle, and that has sort of been the story the entire season for the Nets. That like we haven't talked about their playoff. The biggest storyline from one of the best teams in the league has been Will they stay healthy? Will they stay healthy? And it's no surprise to me that we are now deep into the playoffs and we're still having these conversations. Harden's not going to go tomorrow night. Irving's not going to go tomorrow night. Do you have any faith in Kevin Durant to carry this sort of Nets team with their makeup to a a, a series win? It's hard to say because we haven't seen enough from them. I mean, we've seen this Nets team throughout this entire season, but we haven't seen them quite in this situation before yeah it's earlier earlier on you know i uh, Kyrie irving was missing james harden was missing a couple of games but um it's hard to say because we haven't seen enough times this season when it's just been kevin durant and it's just been this team in this type of game i've been saying since the very beginning as soon as this big three came together this championship is going to happen or not because of Kyrie Irving, whether that's due to him being mm. a Kyrie Irving, him being in another flat earth world, or whether that's he's injured and can't play. It relies on a Kyrie Irving because I don't believe that James Harden is going to work well with Kevin Durant when James Harden is the main ball carrier. I, I, I don't think that that's necessarily see, the best see, matchup. I, 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 I'm, I don't I, think so. I, I, I'm on the completely opposite. I thought really? that this Nets team went as far as James Harden because I, I do think that, that as a facilitator and as a scorer, James Harden objectively is a better player than Kyrie Irving, and he's been healthier, save for the hamstring that he just happened to blow out in the first minute of this series. I think he's been a more dependable superstar over the last couple of years than, than Kyrie Irving has. Um well, you talk about dependability. Yeah, James Harden's been the more dependable player. I'm not saying that you know Kyrie is is, is better or should be the number two over Harden because you're just Har- saying the ceiling goes as far as Kyrie. Absolutely, does. Kyrie is the person that's either going to make or break it. the The difference between having two and three is ginormous in this league currently. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have somebody that's as dynamic as Kyrie can be, not to say that Harden is not dynamic, not to say that Kevin Durant can't absolutely carry the Nets. But Kyrie, his ball handling skills, is it be able to officially run the pick and roll? Um, you you need that. You need that ball handling skill. Yeah. Also, I I do want to give credit to the Bucks. We're we're talking about the Nets and their and their lack of superstars uh, going forward. But Giannis and the Bucks, they've one thousand percent played better the last two games, and they played more aggressively than they were in the in the in the first two. You can sort of see him start to put his head down and and just not care. I know he shot the he shot like eight threes. In Thursday's game three, but then on Sunday you could he drops thirty four in the win. To me, he's still a top three to five player when when his head is in a really good mental state when he's not down on himself. So it's not like that the Nets are losing to I, like I predicted the Bucks to win this series before it even started. I thought that this Bucks team and, and its entire roster was better than the Nets. So I do want to give them credit, but. Sebastian, do you do you have faith in Kevin Durant with the, with this ro- current roster without Kyrie and Harden? So Steve Nash said in uh, I think last night's press conference after the end of the game that um, Harden is going to need two practices. There are two days until the the game actually happens. That's that's enough time for two practices. Right, so so the report they're, came out that that Harden and Irving they're both not going to play. They're in both game five. not straight up not going to play. At least for game five, they're both straight up they're not both, playing. They're both DMPs. No no questionables. Okay. 
Okay. Uh, that changes a little bit of what I'm saying, uh, of my mindset. I'm in agreement with you, Luke, where um, James Harden has proven himself to be a completely different player. You can separate um, Brooklyn Harding, Harden from Houston Harden. There's two completely different players. One is iso ball all the time. I can just shoot over everybody, and I will. Uh, and if I can't, I will draw a foul. In Brooklyn, he has been a great distributor, a great enabler, somebody who can actually set his role players up to exceed. With that in mind, just KD. Just KD. That's brutal. Like, like this roster wasn't constructed so that KD could, could carry them. This roster was constructed for their three superstars to show up and show out it's every single So I, I kind of... I, Abs- absolutely. I kind absolutely. Of, I almost agree. It's just that we haven't really seen it because, okay, we could look back at last year where, where KD is the only player on this team out of these three. Well, he was out last year, so we can't look at that. Uh, KD has never been the lone gunman in like a game scenario this season because he's always had either uh, Kyrie or Harden. So a, a let's see if you know KD can't be a fulcrum. KD's still a phenomenal player. Can KD be the centerpiece of a of a basketball team? There's no doubt in my mind. Right, but, but even no doubt even mind. someone like LeBron is not going to win a championship with the roster that the Nets have if he was stuck. On this team, that's alone. an overreaction as well. It's not an overreaction. Joe Harris and is not a bad basketball player. That's fine. Joe Harris is not a bad <laughs> basketball player, but if, when you're talking about a basketball team's roster, there there is a difference between Joe Harris and the next dude down. Like like Bryce Brown is not going to give you the minutes that you need to in order to win a championship and go up against a Drew Holiday, a Chris Middleton. He's not doing that. That's what Harden and Kyrie Irving were supposed to be there for. Hell, hell, even even Blake Griffin, you know, isn't Blake Griffin was added midway through the exactly. season. They didn't even plan on him being there. That's exactly, that's, uh, yeah. Which is which is why I'm saying it's hard to be able to know what Kevin Durant can do with a roster that's being that was legitimately assembled to be the super team in the middle of the season, and you don't you haven't seen enough games where it's just Kevin Durant with Listen, this all roster. I'm, all I'm gonna say is that I I very much doubt you're going to see a repeat of Game Two. Where a team is just going to roll over and die, and they're gonna there's going to be garbage time, like two thirds into the fourth quarter. We're not gonna see that. I think, I I think he can do it. Do you know what? I'm gonna bet. I'm gonna wow, bet I was gonna on say KD. I'm gonna bet on KD. You know, you, screw it. I'm not. You, I'm in. you got the Nets in the series. I don't have. I'm gonna put you on the spot because we gotta I'm, move on. Okay, but, yeah, let's do it. I'm in. Yeah, Nets. I'm in. Uh, Nets Nets Sixers in, book it. Nets in. Nets Sixers book it. No, I'm saying Nets in. Oh, Nets in seven. Ooh. Absolutely, absolutely not. I'm not going for them, and I'm not going to see them close it out uh, in six games. It depends on how serious this ankle injury is because I, I, I've said it. You know, Giannis is a guy that's going – and James Harden said in February of last year, Giannis is a seven-footer that's going to drive in and dunk all over you. He's physically better He's when there is less, you know, opposition to him. When he can dominate you, the Bucks are going to be a better team. Whether, you know, when KD – or excuse me, when Kyrie and James Harden and KD are all playing together – Obviously, it you know Giannis is more athletic than those guys. He can bully them, but he's not going to outperform him. He's not going to be able to get that shot. He's not going to be able to be, catch up to that offensive spectacle that is Kyrie, Harden, and KD. With two of those guys out, the Bucks, especially with Middleton playing better and Drew playing a little bit better, Nets are in trouble. I, I, I especially because I, I, I don't, I haven't seen enough as I've been saying from KD with this roster in these big moments to say, okay, I have faith that Kevin Durant is going to be able to deliver this team. So I say, you know, depending on how serious that injury and how, you know, fast Harden and Kyrie well, are going to be able to come back. Hypothetically, let's say they... Bucks seven. Bucks and seven. I got a Bucks and six. 
Of course, Bucks he said Bucks and six. Well, I'm just saying, if, like, there's no reason that Milwaukee should lose. I'm going to say this right now. There's no reason with Irving and Harden out that the Milwaukee Bucks should lose game five to that to agree. that team with Kevin Durant. With with that in place, if you're assuming that they win game five without the two of them, heading back to Milwaukee and all the momentum on their side, I think this is going forward, this is the Bucks series to lose. I and, really do think And that. one more thing, Nick. I think uh, Irving, Harden, Durant, those three are unstoppable. Harden and KD, I think they're just, like, overwhelming, if that makes sense. I don't know the drop-off difference between I don't, unstoppable and— I don't either, and, but I, I, think, I, I think that team of two is, is enough. I, I think that two is definitely I, enough I to close that, out the— I think you need to have two out That's, of the three, but you can't have one out of the three. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree, um, but I'm still betting on them because I think yeah. by game six they will have their guys back. Right, at least it? one of the two guys that they're out. I think Irving is done for the season. Yes, yeah, Scott. One one thing I do want to add. I I've kind of been silent on this whole thing. I don't. I admittedly don't <laughs> watch a lot of basketball. But the one but the one thing I do know is that the internet always throws a party when Kevin Durant loses, and so I'm You're going to party. be. Yes, yeah, so I'm going to be waiting for that to happen. So my prediction is Bucks and Six. Who's who's not a fan of a party? I appreciate it, Scott. Yeah. Um, kind of as we get into the waning minutes of the show here, last last series I want to touch on Clippers Jazz. Clippers come back Saturday a dominating performance to net it at two to one Utah. They win one thirty two to one oh six. Playoff P actually makes an appearance. In appearance. Listen, I and the P stands for point. He he was going up and down the court with the ball. They put his the ball in his hands as the main ball handler, and it actually worked out. He dropped thirty one. It's the second. It's only the second time in a playoff game that him and Kawhi have both scored over thirty for the Clippers. And when they're playing like that, I think this is the best team in the West. Prove this, me wrong. This Listen. is a weird. This is a weird team, man. It's yeah, a weird I, team. I, I moody. Honestly, That's the best I can put. It, is I they're wanna, moody. I don't want to touch this thing because. The Clippers are an enigma. I don't I don't get it. They don't make any sense. I mean, Kawhi Leonard has, has proven that he's one of those guys that's like, yeah, I'll just quite like somehow I'll manage to drop 34 on you and, and get away with it without it being headline news for the next, you know, news cycle. It's just I don't understand. I Every time I watch them, I don't understand because I've watched like four minutes of the game and it doesn't look like anything's going to work. But it just works. Well, here's the thing. What like what, toaster, what were we saying it. last year when the Clippers got bounced from the playoffs, right? It's like, what would this team look like if Kawhi and Paul George were playing well? Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, for both the first two series so far, have, for the most part, played really, really well. Ka- Kawhi, has Kawhi, played well when Kawhi has played well when it has mattered. The first two games against Utah, I thought he was way too passive for them I to agree. have any shot in the games. But when, he, when you talk about his efficiency, especially in the last half of that Mavericks series, it was... 2018 Kawhi, great, great, you know, player. The the Clippers are a weird team, and it feels like, and I've said this a couple times, it feels like they almost need to be punched in the mouth to kind of feel something in order to be able to play really good basketball. I, I said that, hey, maybe they needed to go down 0-2 to the Mavericks. It, you know, they, did they, it. they did it. They came back and won in seven. Maybe they need to go down 2-0 against the Jazz. I think the Jazz are a much better team than the Mavericks are. They actually play some defense. Can they pull themselves back out of that hole? I don't know. But it's such a weird team because, again, Kawhi and Paul George are playing good basketball. Uh, Kawhi was a little passive, I would agree with you, in the first two games. But they're playing like the tandem that we all you know expect to be marketed to us. But the team just does not seem 
there. Right. I I still I still think Utah wins this series because I, I do think too. Donovan Mitchell is that dude. We talk about Devin Booker and how he good how good he is. Donovan Mitchell is that much better in and my they, opinion. And he, they play defense. And they play defense. This, there are a lot of good parallels between the Suns and the Jazz and just how seriously they took the regular season, how healthy save for Donovan Mitchell towards the end of the season that they were and, and how legit they are here in the postseason with Utah up 2 to 1. I think that there's too much in question for the Clippers. To, to be completely honest with you, um, but if they can get 31 out of Paul George, if he, like I don't know what it was, I don't think it's sustainable. But if they can get that sort of Paul George, I think this is instantly a different series. Well, any team can get hot one night. I mean, exactly. You, yeah. talk, you talk about, and I, again, I keep going back to Mavs Clippers. You talk about how hot the Dallas Mavericks were in Game One and Two. They were like the 18th best three-pointing shoot, shooting team in the. Uh, the, the league last uh, during the season and then season, yeah. they absolutely bombed from three point range in that first two games and it's like okay uh, that's they, they not did it against that, Dallas too in game seven yeah, they absolutely turned that it on. is not sustainable it's super easy for us to say oh man you know and, and kind of just single out a single game and say okay this is a game where this guy just got hot and the the, the basketball room was a size of a swimming pool it if if both of them can continue to play it give me eighty five percent of what we saw. Right. I, I think that it's going to be an interesting series. I don't think particularly that the Clippers are as well coached as the Utah Jazz are. I don't think the Clippers have that. that it's weird because I, I say they do, but they don't. They need to be punched in the face to be able to kind of get that motor going, that, that fight or flight mentality. And But once they have that, I don't know if they have enough to be able to take this game uh, or take this series to whatever they need to take in order to put themselves in a position to win. Right. We shall see Game 4s tonight following the 76ers-Hawks. Game four, uh, we didn't really get a touch on that one, but I think we're all pretty confident that that Philadelphia comes out of this series, right? Yeah, really I mean, yeah. You, you talk you talk about you know the Suns as I thought them being that one team that was going to be bounced early, but you understand how good of a season they had and they're going to be a threat next year. That's for the West, for the East. That's the, that, Atlanta Hawks. That's the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah. No, so we are just about out of time. We didn't get to touch on soccer, unfortunately, Sebastian and Scott. We did not get to touch on the U.S. Open and golf happening at Torrey this weekend. Oh, no. I'm so sorry, Gary. I wish I could have called you in to talk a little golf, but that would have been a snooze fest for the rest of us. It's happening happening this weekend, right? Yeah, yep, at Torrey Pines this weekend. Father's Day weekend. You've got something to talk about next week. Luke Hayes, and I am emotionally destroyed at the fact that we cannot talk about the U.S. Open. I am just... I'm, a I'm, I'm even man. more this distraught is, that we did not. This is my <laughs> emotionally just ruined voice. By well, the you way. never want to disappoint. Gary we did Butnick. not get to talk about Bryce Hall either. Such mm. a shame. Such a shame. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we'll let you guys go. I'm your host, Luke Hazen. Thank you to Nick, to Sebastian, to Scott back in the booth there for helping out tonight on on the, sort of the start of the dog days of summer. I know it was a struggle for a little bit, but. We got through it. Mm. We will see you next Monday right here on Tomahawk Talk as you listen to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.